Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. sir excellent how are you i'm doing okay doing okay once again kind of feeling like butter spread over too much bread but other than that i can't complain you've been busy i've been too busy too busy and it's good some good stuff don't get me wrong and some annoying things like you know i i I threw a rock through a window in my house that was kind of uncool i didn't want to ask you you said you had to fix a window i was like what i didn't want to what happened Oh, well, you know me and my temper. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't my temper at all. I was mowing, and I have one of those right-on-top lawnmowers because, you know, you see how big my property is. And um, I was kind of cruising the wrong way, and it picked up a rock from probably the road, you know, because we have a gravel road going to the house, and chucked it through the window. Yeah, and that was a, it was cool. It was uh, informational for me because I did get to learn what double-pane windows were all about. That was kind of neat. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it doesn't look like two. How come? What are there two of them? But sure enough, there's two. Only one broke. God, that happened in late June or early July. But I've been so busy that I actually had to wait until now to get it fixed. Because this is like I, I have like four weeks at home where I don't have to go anywhere. And you know what happens when you have a, a an empty week? It's like having an empty Tupperware. You're gonna fill it with something, you know. And so I've been I've been filled. I, my my time has been full, but um. But it's good. It's good. You know, uh, um, I actually, I'm working on trying to get two days off in a row, which would be fantastic for me. Um, I actually got one day off the other day and we went to the woods because um, you remember when you were, remember the expeditions that I used to host and you, were, you came out on a couple times and all that sort of stuff. That area opened up for the first time in over, in, in almost two years since the fires of 2020. Um, that area has been closed down. And on Friday, I got a news item from Mountain Hood National Forest saying that the area was open again. So we had to go. So Keith Connor and I went out on Tuesday and um, we, we tried to get to the, the really good spot where, you know, Connor got that possible footage and we were having that interaction with whistling, clapping things. And there's a daylight sighting on one of my expeditions. We tried to get there. Um, but, uh, the roads are obviously in terrible shape because they've been closed down for two years and you just can't close a road down for two years and expect it to be in good shape. There's tons of trees down and logs and sticks and big rocks are in the middle of it and that sort of thing. So they expect you to, they, they, they just want the people that go there to clear it themselves. Is that the deal? I suppose. I mean, that'd be the most cost effective way to do it. Um, I mean, I would do that if people took care of my road because they were bothered. Um, I think, I guess I kind of do that with my neighbor, but, um, but anyway, we got to about a mile and a half, maybe two miles from the location before we just couldn't go any further because being silly, optimistic fools, none of us brought a chainsaw. 
So now I know. Now chainsaws in the back of the car all the time. So, um, but anyway, we had to walk the rest of the way in, um, and and which was cool, you know, because it's nice. You know, uh, most people, in my opinion, miss the sign of the animals just because they're driving somewhere and they get out at the location. They might look around there, but we've been finding a bunch of great stuff on roads for the last two years. Um, and so we walked in on this road and saw a lot of interesting animal activity. I saw by far the largest poop I've ever seen. And dude, like, you know, we were roommates sometimes on Finding Bigfoot. Like I've seen some big poop in my time. And, but this was by far, this was something that was staggering. And, um, certainly if I laid that turd down, I would have been staggering, um, probably for a week. Um, it was absolutely gigantic and it might've been a bear, but it might've been something else. Um, it was legitimately almost the diameter of a Coke can, you know, it's over two and a half inches in, in diameter and, and a lot of it. Like we measured, we put the ruler, ruler down next to it, took it. it was, the, the pile itself was over a foot in diameter. It was quite large. It was very impressive. That's big. How tall was it? Oh, six inches. It was, it was voluminous. It was voluminous. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, I, that we saw that on the way in when we were in there, you know, Connor, um, manager here at the North American Bigfoot center, my Padawan, he put cameras out in that area. Um, pretty much right at the area where he may have filmed a couple of these things on one of those little TK scouts. Doesn't look like much. That's why he's never released it. But, um, he put a, he put three cameras out in that general area and they've been there since before the fires. They've been there since summer of 2020. So um, we went in and pulled those, although we, we couldn't find one of them. So we don't know if a hunter maybe picked it up before fires came or what, because there are hunters in this area. Um, so I don't know what he got on those, those pictures yet. And, um, but when we're in there, I found a very wide impression. This Im- impression also seemed to have toes on it, um, but it was far bigger than a bear would be. It was uh, about six and a half, seven inches wide. Um, I had like four toes or more on the front end of it, maybe five. It's hard to say. And uh, there was no distinct heel because it was going up a slope and it just pushed down. And so you got weight. But even the length that that this thing was, um, that this was over 13 inches long um, and seven inches wide with some toes. Um, Didn't look, I mean, it's kind of a face only a mother could love. You know, like it's one of those things that like, oh, yeah, I'm interested in impressions in the ground and I like to track. It's fun. That was very interesting to me. Um, I didn't have any casting material. It was two miles back to the car, and it wouldn't have made a good cast anyway. Um, but, you know, that doesn't stop me from making casts. I have all sorts of footprint casts that don't look good. What about that one you just sent me? That's what I'm getting to right now. And if you want, anybody wants to see it, they can go dig back on my Facebook or social media and, and read what all the trolls are saying about it if, you're, if you care about that stuff. But, um, yeah, if, if you go back you'll see a photograph of another print we found because on the way back to the car, now mind you, I've driven through this area dozens of times. This is one of the Bigfoot spots that I frequent when the area is open. Um, And again, it hasn't been open. On the walk back to the car, something catches my attention off the side of the road. I go, what is that? And and it's not like a Sasquatch or anything or an animal, but it was like this smooth green thing. I said, what is that? And I stop and I kind of, you know, poke around the trees and I see a pond that I've never seen before, never, ever seen this thing. And we go, what? Look at that. And I point at the Connor and Keith and, oh, my, let, well, let's go down there. And we weren't too far from the car at that point, you know, a few hundred yards. So we went and uh, dropped off the stuff in the car and then started, our make, starting, ma- started making our way down slope off trail um, towards this pond area. And it was a really great area. But on the way down, 
um, I'm walking, the guys are a little bit in front of me and I look down and go, Oh, that looks, look, Hey guys, look at this. That's a maybe, huh? And look at it. And, um, they go, Oh yeah, look at that. And then they go, what about this over here? And they're uh, and on the other side of this log right there in the ground, there is a, a 15 inch footprint, beautiful heel shape. Um, I think three or four of the toes, um, seem to be present. Um, there's a ridge where all the toes, uh, impress more, uh, differentially into the ground. So then we started looking around and combing the area and we found two prints previous to the pretty decent one that I ended up casting and then two, maybe three or so more past that particular print. So that was kind of cool, you know? Uh, and w- so we cast that one, we went back to the car and grabbed the stuff since it was, you know, just a little ways away, quarter mile away or something, came back and cast that. And then we went down to the swampy areas and, and dug around and looked around a little bit and tons of stuff has been down there, elk and deer and, and bear. And we looked for Sasquatch stuff, didn't find anything, but I think, think we pulled a track the other day, um, which is, you know, that makes a good week in my opinion. It looked good. Yeah, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. And of course, you know, the trolls are out there saying, one print and isolate. I think sometimes a hole in the ground is just a hole. Yeah, okay, that's all fine and good. I get it, man. I appreciate that. But what what, what irked me about that. You did a damn Perez voice just then. Thank you. Um, but, but what they what irked me about that <laughs> is that they didn't even ask if there was one. They only assumed there was one and then decided to criticize me about it. You know, that, that people, man, people ruin everything. And I was polite and kind. And I reported that, no, no, there were more. And somebody replied back, oh, well, that's good. What would the other ones look like? And I described that. And, but now the, the post is three or four behind. I don't care. Social media just stresses me out and hurts my feelings for the most part. So I don't look at it. So anyway, that's what I get for being excited about something and sharing it with people like they might want to know, but instead, eh. A couple people just wanted to insult me and insinuate that I don't know what I'm doing. So that's my week. <laughs> not a bad week. Yeah, not a bad week. But you know, as somebody said, uh, if people are talking about you behind the back, uh, behind your back, realize they're behind you. Right. That's a good one. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't know. I feel kind of good about that, dude. At least we're out there getting something. We're not on Facebook. You know, trying to find foot, fa- uh, footprints on Facebook is a failing endem- uh, endeavor, no matter how you do it. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I went over and uh, finished filming the first documentary. Finally got that wrapped and send that up. That's going to a, that's going to a, a editor at the movie house. He's going to edit. They're going to edit it there. That's going to save a huge hassle. So I'm stoked on that. Yeah, we were working with Pete Travers, the Bigfoot sketch project. Spoke to him today, oddly enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So... Working with him, he did a great job. He said it was a lot of fun, and he was very pleased about the results. Yeah, yeah, he was stoked. So were we. So why don't you tell the audience what, you, what you've been doing with Pete, because only only us three know, and I keep forgetting, but there are other people listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, so got some good witnesses, um, some interesting stories, and then they described what they saw to Pete, and then he drew. So what we did was we sat down... And Pete has a program, he uses it through Zoom, where our screen where we're at, we're looking at what he's drawing on his screen. So it's you're, we're seeing, so they're able to give him, because he used to always do these things by email, like he'd, he'd send the people, a, um, like there's a, there's a, he has a, whatever, like 20 body types you can look at and say it's closest to this one, then you make changes off that, or then they'll send you like, you know, like 10 or 20, like, 
face shots. Like, what does the face kind of look like? And he starts from that. And then he used to like just email back and forth. Then he'd send sketches that say, no, this has to change. That has to change it. This is the first time he did it live where they were uh, getting immediate feedback. So like he, it wasn't like this month long progress process. It was just like an hour or two. Yeah. And of course he does it on the computer too. And it's like that, that digital reality sort of thing where it's hard to hard to tell whether it was digitally done or if it's a photograph. And it's just astonishing work what this guy's doing. Um, you might've seen some of his stuff on the front page of the BFRO um, website. It's called the Bigfoot Sketch Project. Although it looks to me, I was just testing the link right now. It looks like the link might be dead, um, but the Bigfoot Sketch Project is kind of the thing. So he is just a super hyper talented um, artist. So it's so neat that you got him on camera doing that. Have you approached him about being on the show, the podcast? Yeah, he's going to do it. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what, what shocked me was the humanness of the faces. Like they, they didn't look that gorillish to me. They looked real human. Well, you know, they go both ways. Sasquatches. I mean, orangutans do for that matter, too. You know, you remember that picture in John Napier's book, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that looks very human, but it's an orangutan, so. Yeah, yeah, when they're young. So that was cool, yeah. Then um, doing the Oregon project, we're almost done. Uh, all we got to do film with that now is just the recreations and then go over the intro stuff again. So that'll be a little bit of work. Well, it's going to be a lot of work for the editing. My computer's too weak to do it. But you don't want to edit, dude. Like Editing's a skill into itself. You, know, you don't want to learn how to do that. It's, what a pain. I mean, I wish I knew. I just suck at that stuff. Well, and just the Bobo luck, you know, that, that chaotic whirlwind that you're engulfed in most of your time, most of your life, you know, it's like you would lose things or, you know, your, your computer would, you would log on and you would win $50,000 and then you would get charged a hundred thousand dollars for it or something. And, you know, <laughs> like, like I know that Bobo, and I mean, I mean this in all due respect, you are by far the luckiest person I have ever met in my entire life. But luck runs in two flavors, good and bad, and you are blessed with both. Amen to that. You don't want to edit this stuff, man. Too much, just too much to do. And I don't know, isn't your life complex enough? Uh, I got to get it down to a certain level, though, for the edit for the editor because we shot so much. Because like doing fun and Bigfoot, you know, we never had to edit anything, so it was like we just shoot it over and over until uh, they got it right. And we didn't we didn't care if there was 150 hours to sort through. But when it's when you're the one that's going to do it, it's like God. I wish we would have nailed that in one or two takes. <laughs> well, I guess that's why the the story producer was taking those notes the entire time, right? Yeah, time codes and all that jazz, and like oh, this is the one we want, and you know, comparing it. I, I don't know. I mean, there's something to be said about TV production. It's, I know we had issues with it and stuff, but they got it down. I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want that job. Well, because it always would blow the moment. They'd be like, "Hold on, we got to write this down, get this noted." And- turn on the light to get this. And I was like, okay, I can see more like why that's necessary. Yeah. I guess that's why they hire actors <laughs> for a lot of this stuff instead of, instead of us, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Cause Oh, you want me to be excited again? Okay, sure. <laughs> well, Bobo, some new stuff is coming our way for the listeners. And I'm pretty excited about that. Um, a lot of people are asking us like how to help us out and they wanted to help the podcast somehow. And of course, we want to give something in return. So starting in October, you, you, you want to tell them or shall I? We're going to have a members-only Patreon section with bonus material. Yeah, exactly. A members-only Patreon stuff. It's going to be um, starting on October 6th and every Thursday thereafter. 
We are going to give you extra content from Bigfoot and beyond. Very often, it's going to be extra episodes. Sometimes it's just stuff that hit the cutting room floor, so to speak. Sometimes it's stuff like, you know, an extra Bobo story time that perhaps isn't quite as family friendly as we would like it to be. But whatever the case, every Thursday starting in October is going to be a new extra half hour, 45 minutes or an hour. We don't know, but we're, we're kind of going, we're kind of changing the tires on this car as we're on the freeway here. So we're going to see what comes of this. But right now we're pretty much saying about 40 minutes or more of extra content every single week. Um, and that's for everybody. We're not doing tiers of, of membership and all that stuff at this point. It's just a $5 bill, um, you know, and, and Patreon nickel and dimes us to death, of course. So, you know, basically you bought you, for the price of one beer a month, and that's without tip, you get an uh, extra couple hours of content from Cliff and the Bobes. It should be great, too, because that should be gas money to get out there, batteries for record. I mean, just all the costs of going squatching. Oh, and, and of course, the podcast, too. This isn't free. You know, we have to pay for the website and all that other stuff, too. So, yeah, this will help a little bit. Do appreciate everybody. And so far, uh, just the people who've been emailing us so far have been asking us how to help us, what they can do is blah, blah, blah. And, well, this is something you can do. If you like the podcast, if we're part of your every, you know, Monday morning commute to work, like I know is true for many of you, this is a good way to help us out a little bit. Five bucks a month and extra content and something I was thinking about too. And we'll see what this actually turns into. I have a feeling this might be a very, very cool thing as we uh, start developing it. You know, we're always talking about like, oh, there's this picture or whatever. Well, we could throw the picture up there, you know, that sort of thing. So our members will have access to that sort of thing. Um, Not everybody will, but you know, five bucks a month, not a bad deal. And if you're interested in becoming a member, go to patreon.com slash Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. Patreon.com slash Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. And of course, there will also be a link on our website as well. But the reason we're bringing this up now, because this is kind of a a Cliff and Bobo topical discussion for this hour or so, um, is that, well, you guys are the members. You will be the members, you know? So what do you want to see? from our Patreon accounts. What do you want as some level of membership? And we're only doing one, so it's got to be available for everybody. What do you want to see from a membership for the podcast? Um, Please email us through the website. Go to the contact button at bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com and let us know what you are hoping to see in a membership for this podcast. Just the extra features, just that extra hour or little less of conversation a week, or do you want to see something else? Let us know. So tune in to, I guess, uh, the, the extra features of Bigfoot and Beyond, which, of course, it has to be called Beyond Bigfoot and Beyond, starting in October. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso and Satellites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. Well, Bobo, this is a Cliff and Bobo episode. Um, no guests this week. I know some people like that. Some people don't. Um, I don't mind it. I do love hanging out with the Bobs. Um, but we're going to talk about some of the topics we've been seeing in the news feed lately. And I understand you have one to kick us off. 
Yeah, it's not new, but it was new to me. It was a BBC special on the intelligence of apes, and uh, particularly chimpanzees on memory tests. And I was blown away how the chimpanzees could blow, I mean, just smoke the humans in speed and accuracy on these memory tests. They'd put up random, uh, it'd be a touchscreen pad that, you know, could, it was probably like, you know, 10 by 10 squares, there's 100 possible squares, and they'd, out of those 100 possible squares, 10 would, in random places, would be numbers, one uh, one through nine, and the chimps would, they'd scramble them, they'd, and the, they'd flash them up, show you, then make them disappear, and the chimps could go up there, and twice as fast as a human, and more more often, more accurate, hit up um, the correct sequence of, of numbers. It was I was amazed because it made me think about how moneymaker used to always think. I he, how moneymaker would always talk about. He suspected that they had awesome memories because they didn't have to store phone numbers and just all the things we have in our brains. They don't have that they could focus 100% on their environment and just the simple things they need to survive. And he always he always thought that that's how they knew uh, they could remember like where a trail camera was or anything. They they could see things out of the ordinary. They'd spot it quicker. That sort of thing. So he's kind of uh, operating like the brain is has like a, a finite amount of storage, and since he had so many like uh, you know memory blocks free that they could uh, uh, they could use those blocks for other things. Um, th- that was like his verbal model for that idea. Then right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and I, I have seen this. It's 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 called Chimp versus Human Memory Test, BBC Earth. It's on YouTube. It's really interesting um, and kind of. It, it sheds some light and I, I, it kind of reminds me, you know, I'm always on the humans are ape kick. And whenever I speak um, live at a conference or something, I'm always saying, get over it. You're an ape too. relax. And then some people, ta- the takeaway is what you're saying that I'm a dumb ape. Oh, really dumb, huh? Yeah. When these guys outperform us on most things that are important to them that aren't important to us and and vice versa, we outperform them on lots of things. They couldn't file taxes to save their life. Right. But here they are like for real practical um, hands on the ground in a quadruped sort of matter sort of way. They far outperform us, even on something that we think we'd be all good at, you know, because, oh, we're cerebral apes. We can do. We're not apes at all. We're cerebral. We're smarter and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. See, smart is is a loaded a loaded term in in my in my you know perspective. Um, I'm not sure we'd recognize intelligence if we saw it because we're looking for our kind of intelligence. And luckily, with the great apes, it overlaps quite a bit. But um, you know, like with dolphin, you know, we know they're smart, but like they they can perform menial tricks and all these sort of things. But we wouldn't know what kind of level of co- cognition they have in a lot of ways. I mean, that's a mystery. There's no way to know in the same way that, you know, one somebody can look at their spouse and know a little bit about what's going inside their head, but you aren't going to know everything. You just can't. And by the way, thank goodness. This is something that I'm quite fa- You know me, Bobes. I'm always looking for reasons for gratitude, right? Um, you know, the one I commonly bring up is that thank God there's no more dinosaurs, right? Because it would fundamentally change the camping experience. You know, and I know a lot of people would like there to be dinosaurs, but that's because there aren't any. If there were real dinosaurs here, they wouldn't want them here. And one of the things I am most thankful for is that people cannot read my mind. For now. For now. I know. I know. Yeah. But this whole idea of like, you know, what you're saying that I'm just a dumb ape or you think Sasquatches are just dumb apes. Get over it, man. Get over it. Apes are not dumb. 
by any stretch of the imagination, and they far outperform us on a lot of tasks, like this memory one. And if you think about it, like, why would that be true? Well, I kind of uh, uh, make this akin to bears. Bears. I was told, or maybe I read it, I don't know. Maybe I dreamt it. I have no idea. But bears will remember every single place they have ever obtained food in their life. And then when they're back in the neighborhood, they'll check it out again. You know, that's why bears are such a problem in say Yosemite Valley. It's like, oh, these coolers have food in them. I remember doing that. And they, they always go for the next cooler. And why wouldn't Sasquatches be any different than that? In fact, why wouldn't they be that plus so much more? Right. Yeah, for sure. I think they're definitely more. I think, I think they they're, they, they got to surpass bears. Absolutely. You know, when people say, are they sm- as smart as us? No, they're different than us. Different, I think, is the key. Because, again, humans, um, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, but I, I can peek my head out from underneath the covers a little bit. Um, humans only see ourselves. Everywhere we look, we only see ourselves, and everything we do compares to ourselves, whether it's our own species or us as individuals. Um, people criticizing others for various things, or like I, I'm looking for intelligence. The only intelligence we know is our own. You know, how are we going to? How would we even recognize it? Otherwise, we're, we just project all day long, both as individuals and as species. And um, to compare human intelligence with Sasquatch intelligence is it's just apples and oranges it doesn't make any sense to me yeah well i mean it makes sense that people do it but this doesn't mean you're getting a good comparison yeah speaking of chimps and being on this chimp kick here how about that uh chimps using hollow logs and certain kinds of trees to hit with rocks to make uh communication sounds i thought that was very very interesting um, and I, I'm sure, Bobo, you've noticed in the field that a lot of wood knocks sound different than one another. You got to wonder how close they need to be listening or how close, you know, what differences that might make. What are your thoughts? I've always thought there's a lot more to wood knocks or whatever, you know, clunk, tongue clicking or mouth popping or tree on wood on wood or rock on wood or rock on rock or wood on rock. I mean, there's all, there's a multitude of ways they can make the sounds. And I've always thought like, it's the easiest thing to fool them with as far as making, you know, trying to make sounds. But I always thought like they figured it out pretty fast, even with the knocking, you know, like that it's not one of them. Yeah. I, I've observed this in the woods with Sasquatches before, actually. Um, uh, I was with, I don't know, maybe I said this recently. It seems like the story was brought up recently. From, I don't know if it was on the podcast or somebody in the shop or something, but um, were you there way back? This had to be 2006 or eight or something. Um, we were in the Sierras um, with Wally Hurstum and Moneymaker's family, and I was observing a, uh, a herd of deer on the other side of the meadow. And uh, Wally and I were hunkered down, and it had to be midnight or one or two or something. And um, I, Wally suggested doing a knock or something like that. So I, I, I got my, my, my bat, and I hit a tree real hard and did a couple of really solid wood knocks. And, and, but the deer didn't react at all. And then a little while later, maybe 15 or 20 minutes later, we got a, a Sasquatch wood knock from the other side of the meadow. And all of the deer freaked out. They were totally freaked out. And they all split and ran and dispersed and all that sort of stuff. And But I thought it was so strange that that wood knock would scare the deer, but yet mine did nothing at all. It didn't even raise their head from grazing. I never heard that. I wasn't there. Oh, really? Well, we did... We did 
sometimes, occasionally not go on the same trips together. But uh, yeah, very, very interesting. It was a weird observation. I'm still to this day not quite sure what to make of it. I guess deer can tell the difference, I guess. Right. I mean, it's hard to say anything definitive off just one example, but that's, it's very, it, it, I'd like to see, uh, I mean, it's, it's like, how do you test that? You know what I mean? Like, you know, where you can run the same experiment. I don't, I don't you, you couldn't really. I mean, I'd love to know though. I'd love to, I wish there was some way we could test that uh, hypothesis and see if it's actually a good theory or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was that night. Um, I guess whenever you see deer, you can always try a couple knocks. Um, I don't know. The deer certainly seem to know when they're around, obviously, probably from smell or something else. But I guess whenever you see some deer, make a knock and maybe you'll get a response. Yeah, I've done that a bunch of times. Well, more I've done calls and watched their reactions. Have you ever seen them react differently to what you were doing versus what a Sasquatch popped up and did? Yeah, there was a couple times with the deer. Yeah, the deer came the deer came towards us, the humans. Okay, I've had that happen a couple times. Well, I guess I was doing calls and the squatches were doing knocks. And then the deer, when the knocks started over that way, they, they came over towards us, where I had done actually some squatch calls from them. How many times have you had deer hang out just far too close to your camp when they were around? Oh, at least at least a half dozen, uh, probably 10 times, where like, it's hunting season, we're in a hunting camp, and they're in the camp with us, like actually in the camp, yeah. And especially when it's a buck, that's when, like, that's when you know something's really off. Yeah, I've had that happen a handful of times myself. Very peculiar. That makes you, it's like when you're in the ocean and there's a sea lion trying to jump in your boat frantically. <laughs> yeah, you know something big with sharp teeth is in the water then, for sure. Yeah, because I was listening to that, that uh, they got the video, it's in um, discovermagazine.com, the uh, rock-throwing chimpanzees. I mean, it sounded like their shrieks and calls were way louder than any sound that the rock hitting the wood made. Yeah, and, and I noticed that the um, the rocks are piled up inside hollowed-out logs um, because they use the same locations again and again, which I guess maybe, I mean, it doesn't say anything about Sasquatches, but if Sasquatches are similar in some ways, um, you, have you heard about these so-called uh, tree-knocking stations? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything to that or not. If they, if they do it uh, again and again, it makes sense that they'd probably have a, a stick handy, if assuming that's what they're doing. There's been a couple times in the redwoods where I've found, where I've heard knocks on different occasions, you know, different years, but from the same spot. And a couple times I found what looked like where they'd been hit repeatedly, but not that much. Like, I've I've seen photos where people have where it's just been pounded like hundreds of times over a long period of time. I mean, you never know if the guy did it himself or you know. I wasn't there, but I've seen photos where people said, this is where it's been knocking. It's like seven feet up and it's, you know, horizontal with the ground, parallel to the ground. The strike marks was something really tall swinging. I've seen photos of that. Well, the same article says that um, some cockatoos, which is, you know, a bird, parrot sort of thing, um, they, they'll oftentimes go to the same branches with seed pods and make and make their own drumsticks beating out a, a tempo, you know, and then it goes on to other things about vocalizations and whatnot of various apes and whatnot. You got to wonder, like maybe, maybe they are throwing rocks at trees. Although you'd think with the, um, the knocking sounds, we would have heard like them, the, the, the rocks rolling on the ground or something after. I've definitely heard them throw rocks at trees for sure. And just in that article also, it talks about orangutans will make uh, alarm sounds, the kissy squeak sound they make. And they'll modify it by putting leaves in front of their mouths. 
Oh, that's kind of like that grass thing, that like that grass whistle that kids do with the blades of grass. And I was thinking, you know, with the, with them throwing rocks and keeping the same rocks around trees to, you know, that made good sounds and whatnot. That that's a short distance between banging between that and banging two rocks together, which has is a, is a known Sasquatch um, behavior because it's been observed a number of times. Right, and those rocks they found at the nesting site in the Olympics. Right, yeah, two rocks um, that about the size of softballs. Um, I've seen them myself. Um, and sitting on top of the forest stuff when all the other rocks around there were embedded into the forest stuff, but these were just sitting right on top and you could see visible like white marks, um, scoring marks where they'd been banged together. It was plain as day, very clear. Yeah. So I think that was it for chimp stuff right now. And then, um, then one thing, I, I'm sure you got a ton of email about this too and messages about the guy in Oklahoma that says he was out noodling for catfish and his partner summoned Bigfoot to come kill him, so he killed his partner first. Yeah, I, I didn't read the article uh, as closely as you did. So wait, he summoned um, a Bigfoot? Is that what you're saying? Was he reading Aleister Crowley poetry or something? How do you summon a Bigfoot? He was calling to him. I, I guess maybe – you know what? Maybe we're trying to summon Bigfoot when we're out there knocking or whooping or something. Or is it more of a skunk ape deal where we're going to read Aleister Crowley poetry and hope that they appear somehow through pan? I don't know. I, that's why I'm waiting for the trial. This this could be interesting. He could never claim the insanity defense because everyone knows Bigfoot's real. That's the thing. That's the thing, right? And 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 I know that we've we've actually discussed this, but both you and I have been very concerned because you know when we're out in the woods, whether it's with just me and you, or maybe with our significant other or something, if one of us goes missing. The other guy's going to get blamed for killing them, essentially, at the end of the day. But at least uh, the cops here, they actually had to find the body, which is which is a, a good thing. They just don't blame somebody for doing it. And he also can confess. That sure, sure helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, and like like a lot of uh, pretty much all the, the Bigfoot killing stories, you know, like Bigfoot bird, this or that. It's never a story about Bigfoot. It's always a story about humans and methamphetamine. Yeah, it says in here somewhere, uh, let's see what the actual quote was. They didn't know what he was on, but he was on something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he definitely was on something. You think they would have tested him? Oh, I'm sure they did. Um, they'd probably bring that out at the trial, I'd imagine. Yeah, they probably tested his blood or something when they brought him in. Um, did say that he was clearly on, or here we go, quote, Appear, he appeared to be under the influence of something. You think? And I, I don't know. I, if nothing else, Coors Light, man, because if you're going noodling, that's part of the part of the gig, isn't it? I've never been noodling. I would love to go, but I think I'd probably be too afraid to put my hand into a catfish mouth. No, you don't worry about catfish. It's some freaking snapping turtles, dude. Oh, yeah. See, that's just another level of horror for me. I saw this video they were showing. This guy was, did a thing on noodling one time. On, it was like a little mini documentary, like 10, 15 minutes on noodling. On uh, saw it several years ago on youtube and he was at some noodling convention contest whatever and there all these guys are probably holding up their hands showing where they lost digits or you know knuckle you know like just for <laughs> wounds from snapping turtles well yeah yeah it's, it's like a war wound or something in a way you know you earned it yeah for sure now have you well you know i i'm assuming that probably there's a small handful of people in our audience that don't know what noodling is would you like to describe it bobo out in the Midwest and the South, the redneck guys will jump in where there's catfish and they burrow like in little caves under under the water in the in stream banks. And they stick their hands in there and reach around and wait for the catfish to bite them or they'll grab them by the gill or grab them by the jaw 
or this little bite on their hand and not let go. And they'll pull their arm out and drag the fish up to the surface. Assuming the fish isn't so big, because sometimes I imagine the fish drags them down. You've seen the size of some of these catfish. Well, yeah, they're 100 pounds. The, the big ones, they can get over 100 pounds. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a thing, man. And oh, catfish are kind of scary in that sort of way. And they have like pokies on them, like a, like thorn things coming out. Yeah, they're, they're not. They're, they're, yeah, they got some crazy spikes on them. And then uh, there's been people that have been drowned by them. Yeah, there have been people that have drowned noodling because they've lashed onto a, or a giant catfish lashed onto them. There are guys out there in the South, particularly who, like, who are cryptids, you know, crypt, cryptozoologists looking for these cryptids, these giant catfish the size of Volkswagen bugs and that sort of stuff. Another thing I hope isn't real. Well, gosh, they, they cut that, what, 600-pounder in Vietnam, the Mekong Delta, the blue, blue catfish, I think it was. The world record was just broken in the same river with a whole different species. It was a ray. It's now the largest freshwater fish ever caught. Oh, I did see that news item. I did, yeah, because I have, I have like a fishing sort of Google news alert thing that when anything cool fishing wise comes up, I get a, a little thing on it. So, yeah, that's that's. I, I'm sure if I grew up down there, I'd be doing it. But as an adult, I was going to do it with Turtle Man one day, but there was tornado warnings and it got really stormy. It was it was Halloween actually, and he didn't want to go in the in the uh, pond because it was getting really stormy. There was tor- there was tornadoes going off around like within. 10, 20 miles around us and lightning and stuff. So they canceled it, but I almost, almost went. I would be afraid to, I think. I mean, it looks nice to be in the water, but I think I don't, I don't think I want to be sticking my hand in the turtle holes. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was definitely nervous about it, but I, I was just thinking I'm just going to put my hand in and just pull it out lightning fast. Just, just so I touch it, you know, like just kind of do that, like real quick in and out touch real not not just stick around. I wouldn't like feel around like those guys do. I would just dab in and out real fast, little jabs to see it. And if I felt something that felt like a fish, then I'd grab it. If it felt hard like a turtle or a rock, I'd just not put my hand back. And that's what I was thinking I was going to do. You know, I, I'm surprised in, in a way that this is the first combination of noodling and Bigfoot that I've ever read about. Yeah, noodlers must run into Bigfoots. Yeah, I'm sure prospectors do. Other fishermen do. Why wouldn't noodlers? But who's going to listen to a noodler? Because you know those guys are nuts. Yeah, they're they're ballsy. That's for darn sure. Absolutely. Dude, that is just such a crazy sport, man. Athletes. See, that's the kind of thing I wish was a little bit more uh, prevalent on on you know ESPN, for example. Noodling. Yeah, noodling. Wasn't there? There was a, like a reality show or something ten years ago about this, wasn't there? There was. It was pretty short run. I think it was one or two seasons. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess the, 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 the thing here is uh, the Bigfoot somehow connected to it. Bobo, I promise you this. I will never try to summons Sasquatches to try to kill you. I make no such promise. I know. I know. It's a one-way street on, as far as this promise goes. I get it. But that's part of the gamble. That's part of uh, having Bobes in my inner circle. So I'm willing to take the risk to enjoy my company with you. <laughs> All right. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. You uh, sent me this article about finding the uh, nuclear DNA of ancient humans and animals from cave sediments. Yeah, because, you know, I'm very interested in the eDNA stuff, right? Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, yeah. This is um, this is a scientific journal article. Um, it was written by some uh, Chinese scientists, and they're basically looking for archaic human DNA um, through the dirt, the dirt in the ground. Um, even though no fossils or other sign exist, I mean, it's already been proven to work. And I think this could be done in North America if 
you know, I, actually, I'm thinking about it in, in Asia as well. I don't see why not. There's unknown hominoids in Asia all over the place. If these things, if Sasquatches and, and their ilk are in caves, as people say they are, then it shouldn't be too long until we find some sort of eDNA remnant of them. And here's another uh, another example of scientists doing real DNA stuff inside caves. Of course, I think this one was in Spain, um, if I remember right. Um, and we don't expect a lot of unknown hominids or any unknown hominids in Spain, as far as I know. But you know, Eastern Europe and in, in Asian places, yeah, I, I fully encourage this line of inquiry because not only are we going to get more human DNA, or at least uh, species of our own genus, you know, the other quote-unquote humans, Neanderthals, Denisovans, and all that sort of stuff. But I wouldn't be a bit surprised if something much stranger pops up if we continue trying this technique. Right. And it says, that, well, they, they did find an unknown population replacement of Neanderthals from that cave in Spain that you're talking about. Yeah. And they, and then, you know, remember, this was one of the earliest um, DNA discoveries of uh, Denisovans. Um, the first Denisovan was a discovery of a bone inside of a cave, and it was just a finger bone, one segment of one finger. So it wasn't much, and they go, oh, this is probably Neanderthal. And then they they tested the DNA on it, and they go, well, this is not Neanderthal. This is totally weird, totally something brand new. So they they actually discovered this species based on a finger bone and the DNA that was obtained from it. But I, I believe, chronologically at least, as far as the papers released, the next um, discovery of the Denisovan was through eDNA, testing the, the sediment on the bottom of a cave where they had no record of any hominins like Neanderthals or Denisovans living at all. But yet that's, they, they got it from the dirt itself. And that is when my ears perked up and said, holy crap, this has promise. Yeah, it's, it's just nuts that you can scrape dirt off the ground inside a cave and get hundreds of thousands of uh, up to millions of years old DNA that you can sequence. is just mind-blowing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not going to take long. I, mark my words. It will not take long when they're poking around in these caves in Asia where there are other Sasquatch-like things running around that they're going to get something mind-boggling that they won't be able to identify. And they'll probably put it into some category or some new hominin or something, perhaps um, not realizing that it isn't ancient. Perhaps it's only a few hundred years old or something. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how all that unfolds. And that might actually be the avenue towards um, the proving of the Sasquatch, you know, because if they're in Asia, then it won't take long for the scientists over here to take note. No, yeah, because it goes in the gen bank, and then once it's in gen bank, then it's like it's there for anyone else that has a comparable sample. Yeah, I think all effort should be put that direction at this point. Besides, just the normal wildlife biological stuff, you know, footprints and trying to get pictures and all that jazz. But like, uh, yeah, if you have a good spot and you think these things are around, save up some money and throw some DNA eDNA testing at this thing. And I think that it might be an accidental discovery, but they do this long enough, they're going to start finding something unusual. That is going to um, be a topic on a future Bigfoot and beyond. What is the cost of an eDNA sample? That's a good question. I've heard various things. I've heard anywhere from um, just the just the materials, no you know, no paying of people at all. Just the materials, a few hundred bucks is what I hear. Um, I've heard that to get it all done, it's a few thousand, like maybe seven thousand or something. But um, you m- remember uh, Dr. Haskell Hart, good friend of the show. He was on the show. He, of course, he was, in a, he was on one of our episodes of Bigfoot and Beyond, Dr. Haskell Hart, who's a retired um, PhD in chemistry. He was an a- academic and all that jazz. He told me, what did he do? He told me, 
I think he paid $7,000 and had something like 30 to 40 tests done, which is relatively cheap. And he says, of course, yeah, he says the more tests you get done, the cheaper they, 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 they come, you know, like it's probably cheaper to do 20 or 30 tests than it would be to do five or 10. Um, but still, yeah. So I was very, very, um, encouraged by that. Um, so actually since then, remember when I was filming that thing, um, for that Japanese film crew out in the blues with moneymaker in June? Well, yeah, Esteban Sarmiento was there and another gentleman named Greg, who, uh, is an academic from an institution in Idaho, not Meldrum's, but a different one. And, um, he was out there specifically to collect eDNA samples. And, um, we, we pushed them to, Hey, collect it from Mill Creek, you know, cause it's flown out of the Mill Creek watershed and, um, the footprints that uh, we cast on that show, um, he had some of the dirt of it and hopefully it's not contaminated and all that sort of jazz. But he uh, gave me a bunch of sterile collection materials. So, and he says that, yeah, you get something good. Um, I mean, don't waste my time, but if you get something that you're pretty solid on, just contact me and, uh, and you know, I'll do what I can to help you get in touch with the right people. Cause you know, the, these eDNA labs, they have, you know, uh, lab assistants and whatnot, and they have to calibrate their machinery and whatnot every once in a while. So yeah, there might be a way to get it done quite cheaply. So, but again, I'm not going to throw stuff at these guys unless I'm a hundred percent sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just such a shame that the first Sasquatch genome project turned into such a cluster and just to just waste all those best sample, like people, you know, their best, Long-time researchers, the best thing they had, they had in their freezer for 20, 30 years, handed over, and now it's gone. It's just, God, just imagine if we had those same 100 samples back and could give it to one of these labs and what it cost, 15, 20 grand at the most, and not this 700,000 that was spent 10 years ago. Yeah, it's really unfortunate, really unfortunate. And, you know, and I think, I was talking to somebody, they're saying that at this point, if they are you know, close, even more closely related to us than most people think, you know, paranthropines or something like that, you know, some sort of hominin. It might take a complete sequencing of the genome to figure out what these things are. And that's six figures when you're talking about the lab assistance and the manpower and whatnot behind what's necessary. You guys know more than me about it, but I'm convinced. I've always thought it's going to take a full genome sample. I wouldn't be surprised. I hope not. I hope there's enough differentiators that go, wow, this is really weird. We need to throw more money at this. But I don't know. I've been hoping against hope for a long time now, so right. decided to stay focused on what I can. And, you know, I don't have 7,000 bucks to go throwing around at this sort of thing. And, and again, if I saw a Sasquatch rub its back on a tree and I got some hairs and some skin samples, I would not hesitate to do what I needed to do. But I'm not going to take other people's word for it ever. And I'm not going to just randomly take some water samples and hope that there's some in there and spend the money on it. If I find a, if I find a footprint f- full of water, that was just left there. Beautiful, clear footprint, no doubt. Or if I saw a Sasquatch do something, that's where I would put my own money and what I have personally observed. Right. Have you ever told you I was getting reports, more reports out of uh, Mendocino Coast? Yeah, yeah. Because we're, we're talking about Fort Bragg or something about that. At the yeah, time, the, right? the campgrounds down there. Well, I was talking about, about a friend of mine who's a Bigfoot witness into the Bigfoot stuff. And I've known him for a couple of years. And they told me, uh, she goes, yeah, she goes, I, she goes, I was, this was 20 years ago. She was dating some guy she's out of touch with now, but that his little brother and his friends found a Sasquatch body in the surf by a river mouth down in Mendocino in broad day. That thing was sitting like a huge, like they, they described the hands, um, the feet. It was, it was a Sasquatch. And there's a, there, I was, 
I was going to try to like figure out the time. She's she's attempting to get a hold of them now for me. She thinks she can get a hold of one of the guys. But um, yeah, then there was a story. This it was on some other Bigfoot podcast. Some guy, some he's kind of a jerk, whatever. But claims he's a federal law enforcement officer lives out in the woods of Mendocino. He claims he shot one and the body went down into the river. I was like, that'd be interesting if his story lined up with like the same time frame as this thing washing up down, down, you know, by a river mouth down there on the coast. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, it'd be at least some sort of supportive evidence to either one of those things, you know? I haven't heard a lot of, I haven't heard any about Sasquatches, you know, washing up on shore or something like that. But um, I have heard people claiming to have shot them or maybe killed them. And well, some of them are military guys. And, and to your point, um, it seems like a lot of these military folks that know so much more than us and, you know, are kind of aggressive, they seem pretty aggressive about wanting to tell us things. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's up with that. You don't need to be aggressive to try to share something with me, you know? Well, whenever you hear these anonymous guys with military backgrounds, they're always special forces. Like, you know, they're anonymous, these anonymous guys. Are there really that many of them? I don't know anything. I don't know much about the military, you know? Are there that many of them? No, I mean, they're like, they're probably like, you know, on an artillery unit or some radar unit or something. But when they tell the story, like, I was a Navy SEAL or I was a force recon or, you know, it's always, it's never like I was, I was like a grunt, you know, it's, it's always, the anonymous guys are always special forces yeah I, I knew i knew one or two of these guys um like when i was taking kung fu back in when i was in long beach i did a couple of years of kung fu martial arts and stuff if you remember um and one or two of the guys in there they worked together like they they were some sort of federal something or other that i'm not quite sure what but you know i knew these guys and i believed them you know they could have been lying and blowing smoke i guess but like they were like the nicest guys in the world Totally kind, totally professional, all the way, even when they're off duty. And that's that's kind of what I would expect from a lot of these uh, special forces folks. Is like professionalism to a T. It doesn't seem like they would have a lack of discipline enough to be rude um, and and aggressive and and that sort of stuff. Like when when you have something like that, you want to share. It just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't sit well with me. No, no, but yeah, but I was just thinking because I always people would ask me about it, and I'd be like, "That sounds like bull to me. I don't. I'm not buying it." And then I'm just going to take some digging. He was on one of those popular podcasts. He was like a regular call-in guy, and then he also used to comment. I think it was Bigfoot forums or something. He was uh he was on there. Anyways, he was he claimed he was like some big. You know, he said I'm I'm six four, two eighty, solid muscle, blah blah blah. Federal law enforcement, former special ops guy. But if if it, if the timing of, of his story kind of matches up with these kids down there, that I that would definitely get my attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would that would be nice to have some sort of corroboration in some sort of way. It's still a missed opportunity at the end of the day. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, just if anyone ever sees something like that, pluck, just rip some hairs out. Yeah. How about cut a finger off? Something. Right. Well, that could be gruesome for a lot of people, but just pulling some hair, anyone can do that. It's floating around in the surf. I don't think that skin's going to be sticking to the bones for too much longer, you know? You just, well, remember that story? Um, I, I actually interviewed two of the three guys back in the mid-70s. They were down at the Mad River Mouth in Humboldt County. It was wintertime. He said it was before Christmas. They were, I think they were shore-picking crabs or something, like when the crabs come up on the beach. And it was getting twilight. And it was, you know, December, so it was rough out, and it was raining pretty hard and windy, and the surf was big and rough. And they were down by the the water line there at the mouth of the Mad, and 
they see this huge thing in the in the surf washing up on the on kind of in the sand partly not getting like stranded up in between waves but it was it was still in the surf it was never like beached all the way it was a giant like nine foot they said it had a way they, they said it weighed no less than a thousand but they were thinking like 12 1400 pounds giant head huge arms and hands and it was just in the surf line they said it was the worst swimming thing they ever smelled the guy had an f-250 on the beach four by they got some crab rope out wrapped it around the thing's neck, tied it to the toe hitch, and went to pull it out, and the head tore off. It was wrapped around the neck. They tied the neck off, and the head pulled off. And the one guy, I talked to the guy, and I mean, the way he tells it, you, it's hard not to believe him. He says he felt he was in about waist-deep water. He, and at this point, it's getting pretty dark. He said he felt the skull or the head hit him in the shin, and he reached down. He said he could feel this. He said it was heavy. He said he goes, he goes, hey, it was like picking up a human head, dude. He said it was two to three times the volume of a human head. He goes, it was heavy. He said it you know, must have weighed 50, 60 pounds at least. And he said he went to grab it. And as he bent down, a wave broke over his back, went right down and just dunked him completely under. And he let go of it. And then uh, that was the last day. They saw the body still, but they couldn't get it. They were trying to find the head, and the head just disappeared. Wow. Wow. Yeah, the, the head must weigh at least 50 pounds. I mean, what does a human head weigh? Any, any idea? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have much experience with this. Oh, so many lost opportunities. If any any one of these had come through, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Or, we, or we'd be talking to other people, like biologists and stuff. So Right. Then the, the other interesting article I saw was that ghost footprints in Utah, they found out in the uh, old, the previous salt, Great Salt Lake, before the current Great Salt Lake, they found those ten to 12,000-year-old footprints in the soil out there yeah yeah that was kind of neat I, i'm always up for a footprint article for sure i mean these are obviously human um i think because uh they're they're small etc and they have you know human shape but when i look at these things on in the in the ground yeah i see footprints i i definitely see footprints i know that's what they are but most people would never see footprints in that and if i brought that if i brought something back like that saying sasquatch footprint I said no that's not a foot that's not a foot at all but yet here we are like scientists are saying these are human footprints uh, I think it's just so cool that people are looking at these marks in the ground that are barely recognizable as um, a biped's footprints to begin with and seeing what most people don't see in them. But what's really cool, too, is that they only show up when it rains. Yeah, that's how they found them, right? Don't they, they're, they're moist, so they're dark in color in the ground. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. And, and then they, they got, what, they get LIDAR or some sort of ground-penetrating radar or something to find the rest of them? Ground-penetrating radar, they found 88 of them. Wow. Wow. It's kind of like the Laetoli tracks, but, but different. Yeah, not nearly as old. Yeah. Well, remember, you saw, I don't know if we ever spoke about this, about the second species of hominin that was discovered at the Laetoli location? I mean, I know about it, but I don't think we talked about it on the show. Yeah, well, since we're there, we might as well just bring it up real fast. You know, everybody knows about the Laetoli footprints. Um, I think it was Australopithecus afarensis footprints from a few million years ago um, in uh, the Laetoli area, hence the name. Well, there, there were several footprint locations out there, and um, one of the locations had a, strange look, had a series of strange-looking footprints that they initially thought were bare um, because of the, the difference in the way they looked, you know? They go, oh, bear. But it turns out, no, no, they're hominin footprints and a different kind, a different kind of hominin, a different species of animal than, the, than what they think is Australopithecus afarensis that left the Laetoli tracks. 
Um, and when I saw them, they were very wide, almost duck feet, like that sort of splayed fan-like shape that a lot of Sasquatch prints have. Not saying they're Sasquatch. I'm saying that there's something else. There's some sort of hominin. Not that Sasquatches aren't that either, I might add. But they're very, very interesting um, con- congruity, I guess, to living day, living modern Sasquatches and whatever these things were, except a lot smaller. Super cool stuff. And then they, they were just confused as a bear print for a long time, which I'm sure happens with Sasquatch prints. Because I know it happens the other way. People see prints in the ground, they say they're Sasquatch and it turns out to be bear. But you know, I'm, I'm positive it happens the other way as well, just like with sighting reports. Exactly. That's something a lot of uh, skeptics re- maybe don't recognize sometimes because they say that, oh, no, you're just, you're just mistaking. You saw a bear, but you're, you think it's a Sasquatch. You're just mistaking it. Um, but certainly if Sasquatches are real animals, that goes the other way too. Well, I've always said that. People, go, people are misidentifying bears. I always said there's way more people that think they saw a weird bear and it was a Bigfoot, and people saw a bear and thought it was a Bigfoot. Yeah, you had a couple stories of uh, from uh, the Bluff Creek area about some Bigfoot running into camp with, and taking off with the cooler. Or a bear running into camp and taking off with the cooler, right? Right, yeah. I've heard, and like uh, my old land partner up in Trinidad, he had the story about the bear that picked up his cooler and ran down the stairs and then ran. And then when he turned the light on it and put the mag light on it and lit it up, it turned and screamed at him, lifted its arms over its head, threw the cooler down, smashed on the ground, grabbed some meat and then ran off and jumped a fence on two legs. Bear, right? Yeah. Refuses (laughs) to accept that it could have been a Sasquatch. I had some guy heckling me for thinking Sasquatches are real and I've spent my life in the wood, blah, blah, blah. I go, well, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen? And he said, yeah, well, blah, blah, blah. I saw this. I once saw a bear walking downhill from camp away from me on two legs. Oh, yeah, cool. Was it swinging its arms? Yeah. So that's that's cute. (laughs) Yeah. I also think that Sasquatches will imitate bears by dropping down on all fours and walk kind of like a bear just to throw people off. Yeah, I know a lot of witnesses. Uh, my friend, my friend, we had on the show the gentleman we called Lance um, saw a Sasquatch uh, running across his neighbor's yard, and about halfway across, went down on all fours and galloped off on all fours. But it was clearly on two legs for a hundred yards, running. It's faster than anybody else could run. So, um, and also, I think that being quadrupedal actually makes you faster. I think the more legs you have, the faster you go in some cases. Yeah, I've been digging through a lot of old cases, the old reports and stuff. And um, I've noticed there's a lot more reports coming out in the last, you know, I'd say 10 years of them being on all fours. Hmm. Maybe that's just more people are seeing them, you think, or what? I'm, I, I've, I've been trying to figure out what it, what it could, what, what's the result of. I think maybe that once people realize that Bigfoot's are on all fours, quadrupeds a lot of the time, I think a lot of, I think that's what, where people thought they were seeing bears because they were, were on all fours. Yeah. Yeah, that would do it. But you, but you think that you you would go as far as to say that they do that to intentionally fool people? I think they will at some because I've talked to people that said as soon as their lights hit it, it dropped on all fours and kind of ambled off. Interesting. Yeah, it's possible because um, I bring up my friend Lance again. The first Sasquatch he saw, he he was observing the thing from not ten feet away, and the thing started making yowling noises like a mountain lion. Clearly, it wasn't just making Bigfoot noises. It was clearly trying to imitate a mountain lion to some degree. So that whole imitative thing. Maybe it does extend past vocalizations and onto its own physical form. Uh, yeah. Very interesting. These are weird critters. You may have noticed. They are very strange. I think uh, I guess we covered all those topics. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but it might be coming out right around the time of 
the great Matt Moneymaker's birthday on September 2nd. Let's hope so. Yeah, the, the Matt, Matt Moneymaker's birthday is September 2nd. Just put it in your calendar, and next year, if you miss it, wish him a happy birthday next year. But if not, do it this year. We're all going to celebrate by going to a Chinese buffet in his honor. He does love a buffet. Oh, God, yeah. Who doesn't? I don't know. Fools. I've never seen anyone get as excited as Matt, though. No, he got pretty excited about buffets on the road. <laughs> yeah. Jumping up and down in his seat, slapping the steering wheel or the dashboard, going, buffet, buffet, buffet. Love that guy. Love it. <laughs> yeah. I miss him. I, you know, I, I miss hanging out with all you guys in person. I really do. But uh, but Matt is somebody special, I will say. I hate to say it, but I think I miss hanging out with him the most of everyone on the road. I don't take it personally. I might agree. Oh, that guy's awesome. He's a funny, funny guy. Well, I, I, I well just in case you're listening, Matt, happy birthday, bud. Yeah, happy birthday, Matt. Love you, brother. Amen. Well, all right. Other than that, Bobes. Got a couple of good guests coming up. We got some uh, people that are not just big footers, but also well-rounded cryptozoologists, paranormalists. Um, get some more things besides some Bigfoot stuff going. Yeah, get some of the weird stuff back in here. I have a hard time getting on board with the weird Bigfoot stuff, Bubs, just from my own experience. But I'm wide open on this other stuff just because I don't have a lot of experience in it. Ghosts and UFOs and stuff. I'm, I'm more than happy to listen. And I, I don't have enough knowledge to shoot them down. So be perfect. Right. Cool. You got to admit, Bob, some of the people who perhaps offer challenging points of view for, compared to my own for Bigfoot, I've been very, very nice to. Like, I don't think I've been rude to anybody, right? No, you've been good. I've, do, I've been doing my best, you know, professional. And they're good people, too. They're just good people. I like, I like them as people. Not, I don't have to agree with them. So. Right. Well, see what happens with the next episode of Cliff's Agreeable or Not, because we've got someone <laughs> that's coming on with some different ideas. But... All right, folks, we appreciate you tuning in. Hit like, hit share. If you have a Bigfoot story you want to share with us, submit it to the website, BigfootBeyondPodcast.com. Don't forget about Beyond Bigfoot and Beyond starting in October. Yeah, we're going to have a Patreon members-only section. That's going to be pretty exciting. Um, click on the link in this episode to join early or check out the, what it's all about. It's all there. So until next week, y'all keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond. That's an N in the middle. And tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 